You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, church. And it's so good to be here with you. Welcome to Kingsway. If you're visiting with us, if you're watching at home online, welcome to Kingsway. We are in our fourth week in the book of Exodus. And every single week, I have great heartache that we're not spending about 20 weeks in this book. And so today, we're going to cover a lot of ground very quickly, which means I have to talk faster than usual <laughs> and, uh, and go 20 minutes long. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we're going to try to stay focused. So have you ever seen those wall calendars, you know, where they've got like an encouraging word and you go to the doctor's office or I don't know, maybe, a, you know, your accountant's office, somewhere you need an encouraging word. And uh, it's like, you know, challenge. And then it's got this great phrase about like, you know, going through a hard time and, and, and coming out of the, better, the other side, a better person, that kind of thing. You ever see those? Well, there's a website called despair.com <laughs> and they've got the opposite. And you can buy this wall calendar. And here's a few of my favorites. If you were to go and look them up, I get no money for this advertisement. (laughs) Discouragement. Because there's nothing standing between you and your goal but a total lack of talent and complete failure of will. (laughs) Have a great day. (laughs) All right, now there's ambition. The journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. All right, all right. And then the last one, mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> and while these sound horrific to us, some of you are already online buying one with somebody for a <laughs> birthday present, right? Because that's your sense of humor. As, as funny as these are to us, I thought these three really encapsulate the story of Exodus for us, especially this last one, mistakes. What if the purpose of your life is just to serve as a warning to others? Well done, have at it, right? Like live a great life because uh, it's not gonna go well for you. Well, actually there's a Bible passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is the Bible's version of despair.com. Welcome to faith. By the end of this message today, I will challenge you to consider Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but just know it's going to be hard. Go ahead and put that on your calendar today, right? Faith in Jesus, you will be persecuted. How many people would run away from that? That's what Timothy says. But then he goes on and he says, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, when we are reading the book of Exodus, we are not just reading a story about a group of people who lived 3,500 or so years ago. We are reading about ourselves and what they went through is what we go through and what God taught them is actually the same thing God wants to teach us. So as we look today at some of their difficult times and the lessons they had to learn, we have to ask ourselves this question. What if hardship is God's training ground in your life? This is one of the reasons I do not love what is famously called the prosperity gospel. Because the prosperity gospel says, if you believe in God and you give lots of money to your church, what will happen is you'll get healthy and happy and wise and rich and abundance of everything that you want. But then I read my Bible and it says, you should expect persecution. You should expect hard times. And oh, by the way, God is in it for your good and for his glory. 
So what if whatever difficulty you're currently facing or whatever difficulty you might one day face, what if all of it is God's uh, winnowing fork or, or pruning tool in your life to chip away the hardness, the coldness, the roughness, the crassness, the crudeness of your life to make you more and more and more like Jesus. Now, without any further ado, what I want to do is remind you of a map we looked at last week so that I can unpack it a little bit here today. This is an aerial photograph of Israel. I'll have them put it up on the screen for a couple seconds here and let you kind of get it visually in your head. You kind of just look at that and get a piece of the pie right there. Like that land is just a slice of pizza. We're going to take it out. Okay, come back here. Now, Egypt is up here in this area and um, the Red Sea is here. It kind of comes down and makes this V shape and Israel crossed somewhere in here. We, we don't know exactly where. And then there's two major locations for what's called Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. We aren't sure which one. The traditional view, which I would say most people will think is somewhere down in this region here. So God led Israel across the Red Sea down here somewhere. Then over here is actual Israel, the land, not the people, the land over here. So at some point they crossed over here, they either wandered over here or over here for 40 years, which we aren't going to get to cover much in our message. Then they came back over here into the promised land. Now, the reason I tell you all that is because some of what I want to say today involves a lot of these locations, and I won't just put the map up every time. So I want you to have in view over the next couple of weeks as uh, we go through these messages that they're going to be camped out here for about a year. If you just look at the Bible for a second, you'll see that we fly through thousands of years of history in the first couple chapters. Then we fly through hundreds of years of history in the next, I don't know, 15 or 20 chapters. Then we fly through another, whatever, hundreds of years of history. We get to the book of Exodus, and we're going to spend basically two books or a book and a half on one year right here. Essentially, from Exodus, give or take, say, 17, 18, maybe 19, all the way into like Numbers chapter 11, all happens right here. And the reason that's important is because the Bible wants you to go, there's some really important stuff happening in this place right here. God's going to try to teach some really important lessons right here. And we'll get to some of them, but we won't have time for all of them. So you should probably pick up the book of Exodus, go through our devotions as you go and see what you learn along the way. All right, now you got the map in your head and I'll refer to it at times just to help give you some clarity. I want to take you now into Exodus chapter 16, where we picked up where we left off last week. And it is okay if you weren't here, you'll get enough from the message to figure out what in the world we're talking about. Here we go. Exodus chapter 16 says this, in the desert... The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. I love that word. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Does anybody have kids like this? My wife does. Um, <laughs> she has four of them. Uh, I only have three sons, in case you're new to Kingsway. So anyway, uh, what, some of my kids, when, when we discipline them, or some of my kids, when uh, life is hard, they will say things like, oh, it just feels like I'm going to die. I'm like, buddy, you have no idea. <laughs> but you know what this is like. So if you were to read chapters 15, 16, and 17, 
What you see are three tests in a row. And these three tests reveal something about God. They reveal something about the Israelites. They reveal something about us. Here is, let me just summarize these three tests. In chapter 15, the first test is the Israelites are thirsty. In fact, it's been roughly a three-day journey in a desert, and they're needing water. Is that a real need? Okay, in case you missed it, you're allowed to participate with me. Yes, that is a real need. Being thirsty and wandering around the desert that God led you to is a real need. There is nothing wrong with crying out to God and asking for relief. But the Israelites don't cry out to God. The Israelites grumble against God in chapter 15. In chapter 16, that's where we're going to be today. We see them yet again, except for this time they're hungry and God is going to meet that need. So I'm just going to put that off. And then in chapter 17, they're thirsty yet again. And God, this time, takes them up to a rock and says, they grumble again. And Moses, he tells Moses, I want you to, to, I'm going to stand before you and I want you to strike this rock. And literally Moses takes his staff and whacks the rock and water comes flowing out of this rock. And he takes care of Israelites' needs. And what we see in 15, 16, and 17 is the idea, if you read the New Living Translation, of, of grumbling is in there. The idea that they are complaining against God. But there is a Actually, that's the NIV, sorry. But there is a big difference between grumbling and, and, and crying out or, or, or groaning in your need. If you remember in the Exodus story, don't put that up yet, I apologize. She's trying to figure out where I'm going. So go back to the Exodus 2. Earlier in the Exodus story, what we see is in Exodus 2, it says, years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their, what's the word there? Groaning. So he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice this here. They groaned to God, and they're groaning, and God heard them. Do you get it? This is the point. There is a huge difference between groaning and grumbling. Huge difference. Have you ever had a hard time come about in your life? Perhaps a legitimate need. You didn't have enough money to pay your bills. You lost your job. Your marriage was falling apart. Your kids were rebelling. Your parents had a health issue you didn't know how to solve. Now, when hardship happens, and it will, God is in it for your good, for his glory, for a reason. And there is a huge difference between just shaking your fist at God and going, ah, why are you failing me? Why aren't you helping me? Why are you, where are you? Between doing that and falling on your knees and saying, God, I need you. I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know how you're going to fix it. I don't know what you're going to do to help me, but I do believe and I do trust. And at times, at times, you have to say this phrase that somebody says to Jesus in the New Testament, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me. If I need this much faith to trust that you're going to get the job done and my faith is here, then God, would you fill the gap in my faith? Would you grow my trust in you that I could actually believe you have whatever it takes to carry me through to the finish line? And that's the message that God is trying to teach these Israelites in this story, in where to put your faith, in whom to put your faith, in how to put your faith in that one. Let's come back to Exodus 16. We'll take a look. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. 
The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now, if you read Exodus 16, you'll see way more detailed instructions that I'm going to have time to cover for you today. But in essence, what God has said is, I'm going to literally have bread rain down. It's going to show up. You're going to come out in the morning and be like, wow, there's this food source in the desert on the ground that wasn't there before. God's going to miraculously make it appear, and it's going to be a test from God. And the test is, will you trust me to provide? Will you trust me to meet your needs? And will you do exactly what I've told you? And here's what I'm telling you. I want you to go out every single day and gather only what you need for that day. And he describes it for them. I want you to take this kind of measurement, an omer, and I want you to just fill it up. Don't take any more than that. Eat only that much and everybody will find they have exactly what they need. That's the catch. Then on the sixth day, you're gonna gather twice as much and you're gonna prepare all of it because on the seventh day, you're gonna eat what you prepared on the sixth day. Are you with me? And the importance of this is so, so many things. For one, will they do what he asked? For two, will they trust him? And for three, on that last day, the seventh day, will they actually just relax and rest and take a day off and trust that God will provide like Chick-fil-A does? <laughs> now, I want to explain to you something, a difference between a test and a temptation. A test from God is a moment of struggle where we could show our faith and trust in God. A temptation is where our flesh cries out to do something that God has told us not to do, and we have to decide, will we obey God or will we do whatever we want? That is the difference between a test and a temptation. Now, we have an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And temptation is often seized by him where he comes alongside our flesh and says, you know, you should do this. You know, you deserve it. You know, you want this. You know, it would be good. You know, you'd be happy for a moment. But it's our flesh. It's our desires in us. He didn't make us have those desires. It's our desire to want what we want when we want it. But that's not from God. And that's exactly what James is trying to get to in the book of James. When you read it and James says, God cannot tempt you. God is not tempted by evil. So he cannot possibly tempt you by evil. But he does also say that when we face tests and trials of many kinds, we should ask God for wisdom and then trust that he's going to give it to us. Because the Bible wants to distinguish between a temptation that leads us to sin and disobedience to God and a test, which is some sort of moment in time where God takes us to something and says, I want to know, will you trust me in this and with this? Do you see the difference? All right, now moving on. James chapter 1, verse 13, just pointed out, says, when we are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. We want to hold God's character intact. All right, Exodus 16, let's come back. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. All right, so here's our setup. God's going to bring a huge win, and it's going to bring in these uh, quail, and they're going to drop food, and then the next day, God's going to provide bread, and he's going to feed them with meat and bread. 
It's going to be glorious for a moment. But will they do what God told them to do? Anybody want to take a guess? (laughs) Verse 20. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Now, what is happening here? They were given a test and they failed the test. God told them, take only this much, take only what you need for you and for your family, leave the rest. Even if it rots out in the desert, let God take care of that. This is not about waste. This is about trusting in the Lord your God. And some of them became hoarders. They took more than they needed because they didn't trust that God would provide the next day as well. I want you to think about your life for a minute. Do you trust God to provide everything you need for whatever moment you're in right now? Where all of us get anxious as we think about the future and we believe in this moment. God is in control of this moment. It's a moment of faith. And we're at church. We're worshiping. And God moves and he showed us a passage and he spoke to us in the preacher. We got a worship song on the radio or we write a book or whatever it is. We watched a movie and God spoke to us. We felt encouraged. We're like, yes, God is with me right here, right now. But I'm not sure he will be next week. And I'm not sure he will be the month after that. And I'm not sure he will be next year or maybe 10 years from now. So I'm going to trust him today, but I'm going to start to take matters into my own hands for the future. I'm going to start to hoard for myself so that I can set myself up for some unknown future. And I'm telling you, this is a terrible way to have a relationship with God. God desires your faith today and tomorrow and the next day. So some of the Israelites paid no attention to the rules. Not everybody, but some of them. And they took extra. And God said, I'm going to spoil your extra. So they ate what they needed. They felt full like God promised. And when they woke up the next day, they thought, ooh, I'm going to have extra. But guess what was already there the next day? Plenty of food. God was going to provide for that day as well. And so all the hoarding that they did, God had it turn into maggots. And you're like, ew, exactly. Because God wanted them to know you don't have to be greedy. I will keep showing up for you. Let's go to verse 26. You can see I'm jumping around a little bit, so you have to read it for yourself. Six days you are to, to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions. I want you to catch this for a second. So on the sixth day, they were supposed to go out, gather twice as much, prepare everything they would need for the seventh day on the sixth day. So whatever they're doing with this stuff, they would prepare it so that on the seventh day, they could eat it. But some of them were like, oh, 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 after day one and maggots, I got this. I got this figured out. I'm going to only gather what I need on day six. God's going to show up on day seven. Day seven came, and guess what God did? Exactly what God said he would do, because that's who God is. So when there wasn't any food on the seventh day, they went, but what, what, God, that's not fair. Again, do you have any kids? That's not fair. And God said, I told you what to do. You aren't listening. And now all the parents in the room go, I don't know what that feels like. I don't know exactly what that feels like. (laughs) I didn't hear you. I know you didn't, but you're going to get this lesson because you're going to be hungry all day today. But tomorrow, don't worry about it because guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to provide again. 
and I will be faithful even when you are faithless. And that's a huge lesson to learn for all of us. God is faithful when we are faithless. So this mystery stuff shows up on the ground. It's got some weird descriptions. Two different texts describe it a little differently. But I love Exodus 16.31 says, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. There are some extra biblical texts where rabbis have written about this and, uh, you know, these traditions that were passed down for years and they write about it and they say some interesting things. We don't know if it's true. We don't know if it's made up. We don't know if it's legend or whatever it is. We just think it's, I just think it's fascinating that basically as you ate it, it tasted like whatever you desired it to taste like. We don't know if that's true. I just think it's cool. It's like, it's like a Narnia book or something, right? Um, And you eat it and it's like, ooh, what do you want it to taste like? Ooh, I want it to taste like gummy worms. You know, I don't know. Um, Gummy maggots, you know, something, I don't know. Anyway, I guess it's better than the real thing. All right. Anyway, what's interesting is the word manna means something like, what is it? That's what the word manna literally means because they didn't know what it was either. They're looking at it. They can't describe it. They picked it up. They gathered it. It's kind of like this and it's kind of like this mixed together, but then they eat it and they literally go, what is it? And everybody goes, I don't know, but they ate it over and over and over again for about a year. Well, at least that was supposed to be it. And then when they failed to enter the promised land and then they wander around the desert for 40 years, guess what they got to keep eating? Every meal for 40 years. And did they survive? Yeah. But the problem is inside their heart, there was a grumbling. Would they trust God for what they really need? Now, this is what we would call our daily bread. You remember the, what the Catholics would call the Our Father, what we ought to call the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who is in heaven, holy or hallowed is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today, what's the phrase? Daily bread. I'm telling you, if you study the book of Exodus, actually, if you study the story of Exodus, Exodus and Numbers, what you'll see is almost all of the Bible comes alive because they retell the story over and over and over again, especially in the New Testament. It's the most referred to story in the entire Bible. And there's a reason because all of these stories in some way or another point us to Jesus. Let me just give you a quick recollection of those, and then we'll dig in one of them really, really deep here from Exodus 16. In Exodus 15, I told you, they, come, they are thirsty. They've been walking in a desert for three days, and they come upon these waters, and they're so excited. There's water. God has provided, except for the water is bitter. And they grumble against Moses, and they grumble against Aaron, and they grumble against God. And God tells Moses, I want you to take this stick and I want you to throw it into the waters. And then the waters become clean and they drink from the waters. And the stick points us to a cross that when you look to that cross, you will find that life's bitterness is taken away by faith in Jesus. It's a wood and water. I don't think it's an accident that when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we pass through the waters of baptism, almost like an initiation into faith. And out of that, God makes good from our bitterness. 
Let's pause chapter 16, because we'll get to that in just a moment. Chapter 17, what happens is uh, they are, again, thirsty, remember? And God says to Moses, I will stand before you, take your staff, and strike the rock. And Moses goes up, and he strikes the rock, and water pours out. And we're reminded of Jesus hanging on a cross when the Roman soldier took his spear and shoved it into Jesus' side and blood and water flowed out. And anybody who drinks from this water, the water of life will never be thirsty again, Jesus says. Do you see the connection? And you may be sitting there going, oh, you're, you're going too far, maybe. But the biggest point, the biggest point for you to get is that God keeps bringing him back to the same test. So they're a year in at the mountain that we're about to get to in Exodus 19. They're a year there. Then they're supposed to go up to the promised land and they still don't get it. And we find ourselves in Numbers 11 and again in Numbers 20 and we see the same two tests again. In Numbers 11, they are hungry and they're groaning, and, or not groaning, they're grumbling against God, grumbling against Moses, grumbling against Aaron and they want food. And God this time says, oh, you're gonna eat? Oh, and you're gonna eat and you're gonna eat good and you're gonna eat until you're literally physically sick. And he brings in, again, more quail, more bread and he's like, you eat it and you keep eating it and you don't stop eating it, buddy. And you read that story and you're like, man, God's angry. This does not look like a gracious, loving God. And so you read it in context and you go, they are on the brink of entering the promised land and there are literally giants in the land and they're gonna have to march around the city seven times to bring the city down. They're not gonna lift a weapon. They're not gonna shoot an arrow. They're not gonna stab another person. They're only going to trust in God. And if they can't trust him with food, how are they gonna trust him with something more serious? And God has got to get out of them these fleshly hanging-ons where they don't actually believe. They just walk and then God has to show off. And no, I just need you to trust me. Trust me. I am going to take care of this because I love you. And I have promised you, you can count on my name. And then again in Numbers 20. God tells Moses, I want you to go out there thirsty again. And he says, I want you to this time call water from the rock. And Moses is having a bad day. His sister has just died. And he's tired of these Israelites. And he walks up and he takes his staff and he strikes the rock. And because he does that, Moses can't go into the promised land. God says, Moses, I'm sorry. You did not show my holiness to the people. And I think two things are happening there. And this is fascinating. But one, notice that God keeps leading him to the same test over and over and over again. Have you ever noticed in your life you end up with the same test? Do you ever look back and go, I was doing this at 16. I was doing this at 25. If you're old enough, I was doing this at 35. Why am I still struggling with this? I am convinced that God will lead us to the same test until we show the faith necessary to push through. I can't necessarily prove it to you, but I sure see it in the story of Israel. And then he rebukes Moses. Why does he rebuke Moses? Because he told Moses, he wants obedience. Moses, I told you to call water from the rock. Why? How many times was Jesus crucified? In Exodus 17, he struck the rock. And the rock, remember Paul told us last week, if you hear, the rock is Christ. That was last week's passage. I said, we're not there yet. The rock is Christ. Paul told us that. I didn't make this up. I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you want to look me up on that. When he struck the rock, Jesus was crucified once. Jesus doesn't need to be crucified every time you sin, every time you grumble, every time you doubt. Jesus doesn't need to be re-crucified. He was crucified once for all, 
for all. So Moses, I don't need you to strike the rock a second time. I need you to call on the name of the Lord. I need you to simply call on it and God will meet your need. And you may be sitting there going, this, I don't, this reading of the Bible, this is weird. Would a Jewish person have read the Bible that way? Well, they would have by the time Jesus came along. And let me tell you, it was hard for them too. You know how I know? Because I read my Bible. In John chapter six, we see a story unfold. And what happens is there's a massive crowd that shows up. Let's take a look. John chapter six, verse five. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this, why? Only to test him. Now, everybody who's read the book of Exodus ought to go, well, that sounds familiar. Bread and a test. Huh, hang on to that for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus already knew exactly how he was going to solve the problem. By the way, God already knows exactly how he's going to solve your problem. Then we jump down to uh, verse 25. I do a one, two, skip it through. What happens is he feeds 5,000 people that day. Miraculously, sorry, 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Could be 10 or 15,000 people. We don't know. Then he hops on a boat and he goes across the lake. It's a miracle stuff happens there. And he gets onto the other side of the lake. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So what happens is we got a miracle over here and a sermon illustration over here. And in between, we got a lake. It goes on in the next part. It says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. For on him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. You may be going, what in the world? So again, on this side of the lake, Jesus feeds over 5,000 people miraculously. They take a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and Jesus prays, says, thank you, Father, for this day, the opportunity to show your goodness and your glory. And then he says, start handing out the food. And they take these baskets around, and they start giving food to everybody. And when they're done, they collect 12 basketfuls of bread. Five loaves multiplied to feed thousands and thousands of people. Wouldn't it be great if Chick-fil-A could pull that off? Amen. Feed us some more chicken. Now, this is a really cool thing because this is pointing back to Exodus chapter 16. And Jesus tells them on the other side of the lake, now you got a lake miracle in between, and Jesus says, you guys have come, and the thing is, what you really are desiring is something bigger than bread. I fed you a meal, but that meal sparked something inside your heart and made you go, I should pay attention to this guy, and you're here to ask a bigger question. And the bigger question is the one you ought to be wrestling with. And then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works that God requires? What is it that God's requiring of us? What is it that he wants from us? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So when I'm going through a test or a trial or a temptation, What is the work that I'm supposed to do? And the work that all of us must do is the work of faith. Faith in whom? Faith in what? Remember, I told you that's the question that the test is supposed to bring us to. What am I trusting in? Who am I trusting in? When am I trusting in? Where is the help going to come from? And the answer is Jesus. The cross that Jesus died on represents the wood that was thrown into the water. Jesus' body represents the bread that was fed to them, the manna in the desert. 
The rock that was struck represents Jesus and life pouring out of him. And the points go on and on and on. And in case you think I'm making all this up, this is exactly what Jesus says in the next few verses. In verse 30, so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? You mean a sign other than feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread? Another sign? That's part of the problem with these people, not us, with them. The problem is they always want another sign and another sign and another sign and another sign. And when God leads you back to your test moment, will you again ask God for another sign? There was a moment in my life God gave me a very, very, very clear sign. It was at my last church, and I don't have time to tell the whole story. But God was calling me out of being a student pastor into being the campus pastor at my church. And I went on this long hike. It was a long, 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 long process. I'll just summarize it down to that. And I went up in the mountains and I was just like, God, but what if I fail? And what if I mess this up? I mean, this is a very big responsibility. And I love these kids I work with. And what if I sin? And I just had all these fears and anxieties. I was laying them out. And God, one at a time, he's like walking me through it in my heart. He's bringing passages to mind. He's knocking them out. I get done with this hike. I go, God, I, don't, I think you're telling me I should take this job. I don't know. I think you're telling me I should do this. And all of a sudden, this bird flies past me and it lands in the tree in front of me. And I'm looking at this bird and I don't know, there's nobody around. So I'm like, why not? And I go, okay, God, if you want me to do this, I want you to make that bird come out of that tree and land on my arm. And then I just stared at the bird and I thought, well, I better put my arm out. So I literally stuck my arm out and this bird flew out of the tree and landed on my arm. And he looked at me as if to say, do you get it now, idiot? And I thought, <laughs> and, then, and then he flew right back into the tree. And I thought, there's no way that just happened. And nobody's gonna believe me. We're gonna do it again. And so I literally, I went, no, I'm not gonna test the Lord. Now, every time I tell this story, I know people think, whatever, nobody was there to witness it. You're right. You can just call me a crazy person. I'm okay with that. But then when Kingsway called me, I literally said to them, guys, I can't leave this church because God gave me a bird. <laughs> I literally said that. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And so I said, I'll go back up to the mountains, but God's going to have to show me. He's going to have to give me another sign. And here's what I told him. I said, this time, I laid it out. I said, God, this time, if you want me to, if you want me to leave my church and come to Kingsway, you're going to have to show me a mountain lion, and I'm, and I'm not allowed to get hurt. I get to see like a mountain lion and be like, yeah, all right, God, I hear you. And I wandered and wandered and wandered and wandered and wandered around those mountains and God never gave me anything. And I went back again and wandered and wandered and wandered and wandered and God never gave me anything. And I came to the conclusion, it's not that God can't, but will I trust God? Does he always have to show another sign? And then God led me here and uh, it's going okay so far. You know, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't fishing for a clap. I was just trying to be funny. All right, go back to the story. Go back. This is so good. What sign then will you give us? Another sign? I just fed you with five loaves of bread. What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Huh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Look at verse 32. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who do you think he's talking about? Himself. I promise you I'm not making this stuff up. Jesus is simply trying to say, in the Exodus story, while God is meeting their literal needs with this miracle manna, what is it, bread from heaven, that bread was supposed to point you to me. I, Jesus, am your daily bread. You're gonna need to eat it and eat it and consume it. You're gonna need to let it become a part of you. You ever hear the phrase, you are what you eat, right? That's what Jesus is trying to say. 
If you want to become more like me, then eat me. And you're like, this is so weird. Yeah, well, they thought so too. Go read it for yourself. John chapter six, verse 66. I always remember it says John six, six, six. And it says, and many of his disciples left him that day. Why did they leave? Because they went, you are so weird and gross. Literally, Jesus says, if you want to follow after me, you're going to have to eat my body and drink my blood. And you go, ugh. So, hey, welcome to Kingsway. This is what Jesus said. The crowd was too big. He didn't want a bunch of watchers. He wanted a bunch of followers, people who were going to put their trust in him, their faith in him, and say, God, I don't know how you're going to solve life's issues, but this guy, I can't explain the things I've seen, so I will trust in you. And sir, they said, always give us this bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want more of that like our, our, our Israelite ancestors had. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And the reason he said that is he's pointing back to Exodus 15, 16, and 17, and Numbers 11, and 20, and he's simply saying, when you trust in me, you will never be hungry. When you trust in me, you'll never be thirsty. Remember the Israelites? Remember God met their needs, but here's the thing. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Their story is our story. And the reason that we tell this story is because we've got to remind ourselves, first of all, if you're a believer in this room, remind yourself God is faithful when you are faithless. But don't just groan against God. I'm sorry, don't just grumble against God. I want you to groan against God. I want you to cry out to him. Ask him to meet your needs and then wait for him to resolve it for you. But maybe you're not there Maybe you're coming to Kingsway, you've been visiting with us for weeks, or maybe it's your first time, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And we had two baptisms already in the service, if you're just tuning in or you missed that. And those two baptisms came from people who sat and watched for a while, and then finally they heard enough about Jesus. They went, I can't explain it all, but I know this, I need him. I need the bread of life. I need the water of life that will feed me physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally every day from now and through eternity because he is all and in all and through all and for all. But what about you? What about you? I wanna encourage you right now, if you are hearing God's voice in your heart and he's saying, I love you, my child, and I want to take care of you and you've not ever given your life to him, would you just raise your hand right now? Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So I want to encourage you to be bold in this place. This is the most loving place you're ever going to see. It's okay to raise your hand. What we found last week is one guy stood up. He was baptized this morning. One guy stood up. Yeah, yeah, give God the glory. But three other people went out to our connect counter afterwards and said, I couldn't stand. I just didn't have it in me, but I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. So I want to encourage you to raise your hand. We've got some people that are going to come over to you and just hand you a card. But even if right now you're too afraid, you can always go to our Connect Hub. For the rest of us, let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us the true bread, the bread that comes down from heaven, the bread that feeds our souls and meets our needs. And God, even when Jesus says weird things like eat my body and drink my blood, which we know, God, represents communion, 
But even more that represents communion with God, it represents a complete taking in of his life into our life so that we might be changed and transformed by him in us. May we become what we eat. May we be transformed by Jesus. God, I pray for every single person in here, no matter where they are today, whether their faith is strong or their faith is waning. God, would you increase our faith? Help us in our unbelief. Grow our faith deeper and bigger and stronger so that whatever challenge we might face, whenever we might face it, whether it's a a temptation from the enemy or a test from you, God, that we would pass it with flying colors through faith on our knees, hands lifted high, going, God, I need you and I know you and I trust you, so help me and show up and show off. And even when our flesh cries out, even if it's for one, water or bread, literal needs, that we would still in the hardship cry out to you and say, God, help, and then to wait upon the Lord. Thank you, God, for meeting Israel's needs over and over and over again. It is a sign to us that you too will meet our needs because if you care about the lilies of the field and the birds in the sky enough to take care of them every day, how much more us? Thank you for being a good father. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.